know, I sense this morning such a powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, worship does that. But it's our hearts that really do that. It's when there is a receptive place in our hearts that the Holy Spirit comes and he is powerful. In fact, so powerful that it's almost palpable in the atmosphere. I don't know if you've ever experienced that where you feel, not just in your spirit, you feel his presence, but literally in the tangible atmosphere, you feel his presence. Do you know that's what he promises us? Do you know when it says, seek and ye shall find, knock and the door will be opened unto you? Right? He's talking about not just finding out who he is, not just realizing his attributes, not just knowing you know, that he's going to be there when we need him. Seek, and you'll find. If we seek Jesus Christ, and we seek intimacy with him, and we seek his presence, we're going to find his presence. We're going to realize the intimacy of his proximity. See, you have to understand something. He doesn't live and is confined to a three-dimensional world like we are. However, he inserts himself into that world to be with us. That's what he did when he was born as a man. He literally inserted himself as the creator, as the God of the universe. He inserted himself into his own creation. One, it was to die for us, to give us hope, to give us the possibility of eternal life with him. To break that chain of sin that damned mankind. But do you know it was more than that? is to be with us. He's not just sitting up in heaven looking forward to the day that we come up there and we could just be with him. He wants to be with you right now. He wants to be in this place right now in a very real and tangible way. So when you seek him, you're going to find him. If we seek him as a church, we're going to find him. We're going to realize that he's right here with us. You know, it's interesting because we're, we're starting a new series today. It's a three-part series and um, called Ready, Set, Go. I'm going to do the first part. Alexa's going to do the second part next week. And then I'll finish up with the third part. But I'm going to begin with an example that I think is fitting for today. How many in here have played football? <laughs> a few of us. Okay. Well, we're in, if you know anything about football, you know right now we are in playoff season. As a matter of fact, how many watched the games yesterday? A couple of us. Man, last night, that was quite a game. Brendan, I am so sorry. I know you're, you're a Packers fan. But what a game. What a game. It was amazing. I, I, I am convinced, however, that 
God is a football fan. I'm convinced of this, and just to let you in on a little insight into, uh, into just what I know to be true, he's going to be paying special attention to the game today at 4.30. Okay? Yes, we, 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 we are, we, you know what I'm saying, we, we are Bronco fans. <laughs> we are. No, but, but there's a lot that goes into, I played football in high school and some in college, and, and there is a lot that goes into being on a team like that. Now, it doesn't have to be football, it could be any team sport, okay? Any team, anything for that matter. And, and, you know, because at first when I thought of this ready, set, go, I thought of, of perhaps a, you know, a runner running track. Okay, and I thought, well, you know, that, that doesn't really apply because it is, yes, it is about us individually with Jesus Christ, but it's also about this team. Because we are a body of members made up with different abilities, different callings, different pieces of the entire puzzle. And so in, in coming up with, with this thought uh, and, and, and wanting to come up with an example, I thought of this team example because that's really what we are. And, and this, this if, if you think about, about it in terms, again, I'm going to use football for, for the example here. In football, you don't just decide, I'm going to play football. You throw on some pads, run out to the field and say, use me, coach. You know, if, if you do that, <laughs> we used to call those people freshmen. <laughs> and we used to teach them how that isn't how you do it. Okay, you, certainly not on the football field. Don't come out there thinking you've got it all together. Especially if you say that to a senior. Because they have pads on too. And they know how to use them. <laughs> and so when you, when you get on this team... You get on this team, one, because you have begun to sacrifice what it takes to be on this team. You've started to work out. You've started to lift weights. You've started to run. You've started to, to eat right, to, to build your body, build your muscles in such a way that they're going to perform for you when you need them to perform, right? That's all before you even get on the team. Right? You've already mentally begun to prepare yourself. Because again, when you play football, it's a contact sport. When you play football, you, you go there with the understanding that I'm going to get hit. Now, for me, that's the part I enjoyed. I, I went there with the understanding, not, not so much that I was going to get hit, but that I got to hit. And, and I found out that was so much more fun than getting hit. But even with that, the coach had ways of teaching you how to take a blow. I'll never forget, <laughs> this was in college, and I don't know what it is, but things change when you go from high school to college in sports. Things change. It, it's, I, I don't want to say the fun is taken out of it, but in a way it becomes so much more serious, so much more of a job. And I'll, I'll never forget... We, we were doing uh, three-a-days, if you can believe this, in 99-degree in weather down in Virginia on this island that, praise the Lord, is washed out now and they no longer use it. I, I'm pretty sure that God did that on purpose. 
But we're doing three-a-days out there, and, and the three-a-days are, are two to three hours each time. And one of the first things that we did, I, I played tight end, and one of the first things we did was we had to do this thing called a splatter drill. Okay, <laughs> just the name, just the name is not inviting. Okay, just the name means this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. What, what's the purpose in this? Why? And, and I remember we'd get up there and it'd be two guys. They'd face each other about seven yards apart. Okay, they'd get down. The one who was going to be splattered would get in just a crouching position, like a defensive crouching position like this. Okay, the other one got to be in a three-point stance about seven <coughs> yards away. He had one purpose and one purpose only, to splatter me, to put me on my back, to make it to where I was out of a play, right? That was his job. And, and by the way, this whole drill was about him. That's why I, I was just there to receive. This drill wasn't about me receiving. It was about him splattering, Right? And, and there was purpose in this, by the way. It's, it wasn't just sadistic. <laughs> Part of it, I think, was the three days and weeding out. We, we started with over 100 people who had come out for, for my freshman year and whittled it down to, to uh, I think it was uh, the basic 56. And he didn't have to cut anybody. I mean, we had full scholarship, full ride guys quitting after a week. It was ridiculous. But anyway, so, so this, this guy, seven yards from me, he is over there, and it just so happened that the first one I got was the starting tight end, who was a senior. Now, I, I don't know if you understand this about sports, but seniors love to prove things to freshmen. Okay, I was probably 200 pounds, I mean... I mean you know, I was a rail. I was the height I am now. I was 6'5", 200 pounds. I was skinny. Okay, he was probably 245, maybe. Not an ounce of fat on him. An all-American. And he is going to splatter me. And so the first time he did, I let him do it. I just, you know, and that's what they said. Just, just let them do it. So he hit me so hard. I, <laughs> It rung my bell. He put me on my back, rung my bell. I had a headache after that. Okay, well, we didn't just have to go through that once. We go through that and we go through a line. Now, I want you to understand something. I didn't have to be there. Okay, this was my choice. This was what I was doing, knowing that my goal was to be on this team that I wanted to be a representation of. So... I learned something, though, in that first, that first splatter. I learned that I didn't have to take what he gave me. Okay? Now, the other guy said, no, just take what, take what, you know, take what they give you because then it's all over with and you just wait for your next time around. And, and you keep going in this circle. And, and in this circle, I got to be the splatterer, too. You know, so those were the times you look forward to. To be the splattery wasn't so much fun. Well, the next time around, I don't know why it worked out this way, but it seemed every time I got him. 
He was the one coming after me. This 245-pound All-American coming after me from a three-point stance as hard as he can. And I'm just sitting there like one of these dummy bags. And I thought, you know what? Not this time. (laughs) No way. I don't care if I have to be here until nighttime. I can't have him hit me like he hit me the first time. And so this time when he came after me, I leaned into him. And I crouched down a little bit more so he didn't get underneath my helmet. Okay? And, and we hit, and basically we stood up. And he looked at me with the funniest look. He looked at me like, are you stupid? Do you, you realize we got to do this again now? Well, I didn't realize that. <laughs> but coach said, do it again. And I thought, okay, now my pride is going to start working into this because now he's going to be even madder at me. I have a senior that's mad at me, and he's going to come at me even harder. I'm going to dig in even harder. And I did. We ended up doing this thing seven times. Okay, seven times until he finally, this, this senior hit me so hard, I could not help but go back. And I thought, I said, yes, it's over. Thank you, Lord. Just let me lay here for a little bit. Okay, so I tell this story because there was a lot we went through. Three weeks of three-a-days. Okay, crazy. It was, it was ridiculous. We, we would lift. I mean, here, let me explain our day to you. Okay, we would get up at five in the morning. They would force feed breakfast. Okay, force feed. I gained 30 pounds in that first semester and not an ounce of it was fat. Okay, they force fed the skinny ones apparently. So we get up, we're on the field by 6 a.m. We go 6 a.m. till 9.30. We get off the field, we have an hour and a half break (coughs) until lunch. Okay, now most guys would, would just go and find a tree somewhere and just sleep and, you know, forget lunch. They're just going to sleep. Well, for the skinny ones, you couldn't. You had to go and you had to eat. They force-fed you. And, and so then you do another two and a half hours to three hours in the afternoon. Then you have that other hour and a half to two-hour break, and then you come in for the evening. This, this went on for three weeks. Why did I stay there for that when so many didn't? I wasn't on scholarship. Why did I stay there to receive that beating, (laughs) that turmoil, when I didn't have to? It was because the end goal was so important to me. Being on that team was so important to me. Going through what I had to go through didn't matter. As long, I know that I wasn't going to die. That much I knew. Nobody had ever died before. And I I felt pretty confident I wasn't going to be the first. So that set aside, I thought, you know what, there's, I can take anything. I can handle anything in that, you know, three days in that pre, pre-season workout to be able to get on this team. So I stuck with it. And there were things that we endured that were very difficult. 
there were times when you really didn't see the end. You know, you were told there was an actual season coming up, but you're really not sure that that's true. You were told that school was about to start, but I don't know, I'm sitting on this island, and there's no way off this island. I remember sitting there one time with a friend of mine, Jim. He and I were sitting there, and all we talked about that whole break was, I think we could swim this. <laughs> I think we could swim across and get away, and they would never know we're gone. And we just don't come back. And it was funny because right at that time, I don't know if you're familiar with fish down in Virginia, but anybody know what a gar is? Okay, a gar is like, it's called an alligator gar, and it's because the mouth is about half the size of its whole body. And it's got these just mangy-looking teeth hanging out of its mouth. And about the time he and I are talking about, I, I know we could swim this, here swims this gar right past us. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. Well, that's, you know what, that's a metaphor to me. And, and clearly we're not going to jump in and swim across. But in reality, did I have to be there? No. In reality, could I have quit at any moment? Yes. See, in reality, it was my choice. That's how the kingdom of God is. That's how we work here on earth applies in the same manner. We don't have to do it. You don't have to engage in God. You don't have to seek him intimately at all. You don't have to do it. When you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as Savior, you were bought with a price, right? 100% grace, he did everything. You have your ticket to heaven. He is not a taskmaster that stands above you and says, now you are mine and you owe me. He's not going to do that. Why? Because the one thing he wants from us, he can't get by forcing it. He wants our love. He wants us to seek him in love. That is his joy in our relationship, is love. So just like I didn't have to be there in that preseason workout, I knew I wanted to be a part of the team, so it was important to me to get through what I needed to get through. It's no different in the Christian life. See, we have things that we're called to. We've been talking about this for, for a year now. What ignition is called to. And that could be a little overwhelming. That could be a little crazy when you think about it. I've said it many times. We're, we're a, a church in a living room. And yet God has been so clear in calling us all over the world to seven places to be exact. Okay, now when you think about that, you can think, well, you know, that's a little overwhelming. I don't want to be part of that team if, if it's going to cost me this much to be there. But do you understand that wherever you're called, it's not about Ignition's calling. It's not about God, even what God wants, to, wants you to do with your life. If you're called into ministry, if you're called into something else, it's not even about that. 
the very thing that he wants from us, you will never be able to run from. And that is his love. He never stops loving you, but you will never be able to get past the point of loving him. Why? Because we're his. When we've accepted him into our heart, we were bought with a price. That price is love. When we choose not to give him love, when we choose not to seek him, not to have intimacy with him, there's something we're missing. You may not be able to put your finger on it, but all of a sudden things just don't work right in your life. All of a sudden there is no peace in your life. There's no joy in your life. And you wonder why. Well, it's got to be this job. You know, this job that I got, it, 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 just, it just steals my joy. It, it, it takes all my peace. It, it's my job. Or, or maybe it's my relationships. Maybe it's my husband. Maybe it's my wife. Maybe it's my girlfriend. Whatever, my boyfriend. Maybe it's these other things that are stealing my joy. But that's not it. See, if you're Christian, if you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, and you're struggling with some things like that, it is because God is calling you to intimacy. He is calling you to a greater level than you are right now in relationship with Him. He's not calling you to that so you could do things for Him. It's not about what we do for Him. We've talked about that before. What we do for him, the ministry, the fruits that we produce, is a production of our intimacy with him. So he makes it really simple. He, he just says, look, just love me. Just come after me in intimacy, and I give you that peace. I give you that joy. I give you that love. I give you those things that your heart has a hole for, what you need. So this whole concept of being ready, okay, I want you to picture this football team. And that football team, when, they get, when, when it gets down to those 11 players that are out on the field, let's say those 11, we'll, we'll use offense, offensive players, for this analogy. They get out on the field. Anybody who, who's ever seen football sees that they're huddled up, right? They're in a huddle. In that huddle, they're being told what to do. They're all getting on the same page for what they're supposed to go do in that play. But understand, that is not the training time. Because if they don't know what a play is, by the time they get in that huddle, it's not going to do them any good. Well, you know, the quarterback goes in and he says the play. And then all of a sudden, you know, the wide receiver thinks, well, I'll just, well, I don't know what that is, so I'll just do something. And you see, it doesn't work out because the quarterback thinks he's going one way, the receiver goes another way, and it doesn't work. So to be ready means you are readied by the time you're in that huddle, by the time you are called into whatever God is going to use you for, he has to get you ready. 
He has to prepare you for what his calling is. We can look at that as a church. You know, sometimes it's really hard to formulate in my mind why we're not in the building yet. Why we haven't grown in this area yet. Why we haven't this, why we haven't that. And I fall back and I realize it's because God is readying us. Does it mean his promises are untrue? No. But be careful what you ask. Because he will do it. If you ask him for an extraordinary life in him, be careful, because he's going to do it. And what we don't understand in that is that there is a preparation time. One of the things I hated the most uh, at football was running. It's like I never understood people that went out for track. It's like, give me a gun, and I'm done. I wouldn't do it. It's just nuts to me. Yes, I'm sorry. I know, I know you love to run. That's nuts. I don't get it. That's a mind frame that's outside of my realm of understanding. However, I did it. Because oddly enough, and unfortunately, that was one of the biggest things we did, because it was important when we got on the field, that when we ran in a, in a play or a series of plays, that we weren't huffing and puffing. We had to be in cardiovascular shape to be able to handle what we were going to do. Do you know that's what God's doing right now to Ignition Church? He is getting us in cardiovascular shape to be able to run the race that he is calling us to run. Now that could be tough. That could be tough because time is a difficult thing to handle sometimes. Especially when you have an enemy telling you, oh, you misunderstood this. He didn't really mean that. He didn't really mean he was going to use your life. You know, you're, you're, really, you're really way too young to be used, or you're really way too old for him to do this. See, I thank God he called me at 50. I thank God because I have no excuse but to follow him. Because it is such a joke to the human eyes, what we're called to, and he waited literally half my life longer than what you would think he would have done. But see, our preparation isn't about us. Our preparation is about him. Our preparation is us learning to trust him. It's not about us getting good at something. Do you know he can make you prepared for things if you just trust him? If you seek intimacy with him, he prepares you for everything he's called you to do. That's what he's doing for Ignition Church right now. He has been preparing us. Now, in part, we have taken the field. Okay, in part, even when I was in football, we would take the practice field. And we would run through plays, and we would learn plays, and we would learn how to do this, learn how to do that. Know what it's going to feel like 
when the real game came. See, the Christian walk is in those same stages. He prepares you in real scenarios for what he wants to develop you into. And what he's developing ignition into, we've said it time and time again, are warriors. We are warriors. We're called to be warriors in what Jesus Christ is calling us to do. So see, to me, a warrior takes even more preparation. Why? Because they hit the front lines of warfare. So he is readying ignition for this calling. Now to be ready, this idea of being ready in Christ, it's really important that you know who you are in Christ. It's critical to know, just like in the football scenario, when, when I take that field, if I don't know my playbook, if I don't know what to do when a certain play is called, then I'm going to be ineffective. Okay, In the Christian walk, if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, you don't seek intimacy with him, and you don't know who he is, you're going to get on that field and fall on your face. Because he's the source of those answers. He's the source of that direction. To know who you are in Christ is really about two things. The first of those is to know how much he loves you. And it's interesting because you would think it'd be knowing how to do something. You know, knowing how to witness to somebody. Knowing how to preach. You know, knowing how to do this, do that. No. That's not what he says in the Word of God. He said, first and foremost, you've got to know how much he loves you. I want you to turn to this verse. Okay? You can all quote it but I want you to turn to it anyways. I want you to turn to John 3.16. And I want to read this together. We're going to read 16 and 17, but I really want you to soak this in. I know you've quoted it a million times. But I want you to soak this verse, these verses in. John 3, 16 and 17 say this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? He gave the most precious thing to him. He gave his only son to the world. And you know what he did. Jesus Christ then came, inserted himself into creation, became a man, lived a perfect life, lived an exampled life, full of faith, full of obedience, deserving nothing but joy. But then that perfect, obedient son 
was offered on the cross. Died on the cross. Not for his own sin. Not for what he deserved. But he died for you and for me. He died so that we might have life. And praise God, it didn't end there. After three days in the grave, he was raised from the dead. He sits at the right hand of the Father right now as we speak, as we worship him. But do you understand the love that the Father had for you and me? He loved us so much that he gave the most precious thing to him, Jesus Christ. He gave Jesus Christ to you and to me. That's how much he loves you and me. It's important to understand that that is singular. Do you understand he gave him to you? He didn't just give him to us collectively or give him to the world collectively. See, Father wants you to understand that his relationship with you is personal between you and him through his son. It's personal. If you were the only one on this earth that ever lived, he would have sent him for you. That's how important love is. That's how important his love for you is. But you have to understand, he's not, he's not some ambivalent God that is disconnected from everything. He did this for a reason. He did this because he wants love from you. He wants that intimacy, he wants that relationship from you, from me. That's why he did it. He did it. He gave in order that he could receive that love that we were created for in the first place. I want you to turn to 1 John 3.16. Not John, we just came, we're in John 3.16. Now I want you to go to 1 John 3.16. And I love... <laughs> I love how this has to do with the very same thing. And, and here it, it, it has almost the same exact reference. You just add a first in it. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers. So he's given you a glimpse into what love is. Love is not personal or all about me. Love is not what I get out of the relationship. Love is what I give to the relationship. When he loved us, is what he gave to this relationship. He gave his only son. He gave Jesus Christ. So he's saying there, that's what love is. Love is what is sacrificed. By this we know love that he laid his life down for us. And he said, use that example. You need to do it for each other. I don't know if this rings a bell to you. 
But to me, it rings a bell of the greatest commandments. Right? Thou shalt love it. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Or through all thy strength. And then the second is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, see, do you get the concept that God's trying to get across? Love is critical. Love is critical to what he's developing here in Ignition. It's not that we're raised to be a bunch of warriors, so he's teaching us how to wield the word of God and to, to condemn this and throw a spear here and you know pull out the sword and jab this person here. He doesn't do that. What's he doing? He said, you want to throw a real spear, you throw love. You want to make real change. You want to have real effect. Love. Why? Because love requires sacrifice. If I am to love somebody, I have to sacrifice for them. I'll use the example of my wife, but I'm going to do it the opposite way. Because otherwise, I'd be in trouble. When she loves me, she sacrifices for me. Now, I know this is going to be a shock. But sometimes I can be hard to get along with. I know, I know, it's very rare. Very, very rare. But upon occasion, there are times when I'll get in a mood. It tends to happen around football season. And when the Broncos are losing, I tend to get in these moods, right? Okay, it is those times where my wife sacrifices for me. She understands. Praise God. She understands that I am an infant at that point. And I can't be talked to at that point. She understands that I am weak. So therefore she will be strong. Not strong in hurling insults at me. I've actually noticed this the last few seasons. That she'll actually try to be soft to me to, you know, you okay? Here, let me get you a sandwich. (laughs) And then slowly but surely, I start to forget that game and realize, okay, there's another game next week. We still have hope. See, she sacrifices her own feelings, her own reality, knowing this is seriously ridiculous, Greg. And she could approach me that way, by the way. It it probably wouldn't get real far. You know, giving me the sandwich works much better. (laughs) But she could approach me in a way, look, you know, get over yourself. It's it's ridiculous. It's a game. Okay, but she knows that that's not the way to help me. The way to help me is to love me. And so she reaches out in love. See, those are the kind of things that he is teaching us right now. Ignition is, you know, in each one of your lives, you are involved with relationships that are tough. We have relationships here within us that are tough. 
He is teaching us how to love each other. Why? Because that foundation of love is what builds a warrior. That foundation of love is what will hold us firm when we're standing up to the greatest tempest that we've stood up against. It's that knowledge knowing that Jesus Christ has me that allows me to face the very things that I don't think I can face. It was just like that splatter drill. I had the belief that I was going to live through it. <laughs> no matter what, I knew I wouldn't die. There were medical aid right there and everything, so I, I knew I was okay. All right? But I had to endure it. I endured it because of the love I had for being part of that team. We endure what we do in the body of Christ because of what God is building in us, and we look at that love that he has for us. See, that's, that's the real end goal. It's that intimacy with Jesus Christ. Do you know when you are called to do something in him and you are fulfilling your purpose in him with intimacy being the, the very foundation of it, do you know there is incredible joy? There is sustainable joy. And, and this joy that honestly doesn't even make sense. Like, you, you talk to some of these people that, that you know, are missionaries in Timbuktu and, and they go from all the, the niceties of life and now they're, they're living in a hut and they have no floor and they have no food and they have no... And they're happy. That's, that's whacked. That's crazy. We look at that and we say, how do you do that? It's because they see the love that they have in relationship with Jesus Christ. And because that is what he has called them to, they revel in that love. See, when they're on the path that Jesus placed them on, there is that filling up of joy. Each one of you, bar none, each one of you have a calling in your life. Every one of you. However, if you ignore that calling, if you sidestep that calling, if you decide not to do that calling, then what happens is you bring turmoil into your life that is not satisfied by love. Understand it's not about the turmoil. It's about the love. It's about the intimacy. When we are following God's path, no matter where it takes us, there's intimacy with him. So the difficult things we go through, they're wrapped in love. See, 1 Corinthians 13, love covers everything. That includes being splattered on my back. That includes going through relationships that are tough. That includes learning how to work together as the body of Christ. All of these things make us ready to fulfill this calling. 
But see, in all of this, the enemy tries to get in. He tries to get in and mess up whatever he can. It's also important to understand who the enemy is, but what his intention is. See, if you don't really know that the enemy is after you, you think, well, you know, he just wants to kind of make my life tough, and, you know, oh, he did this, and that was, you know, he's, he's a real character. You know, if you think that that is the enemy's intention, then you're deceived. See, because the Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Not seeking whom he can give a hard time to. Not seeking whom he can make them a little frustrated. He is seeking you to devour you. To devour you. There is an enemy out there seeking to devour you. There's an enemy out there seeking to devour Ignition Church. To stop us dead in our tracks because of what God has called us to do. We have to understand he's at work. We also have to understand that he has no authority over us. He can do nothing Nothing that God does not allow. And God gave us the authority over the enemy. So in understanding that he is coming after us in what we're doing, even that makes us ready. Because when you go out onto the football field, it's not just 11 guys playing offense, I go, oh, touchdown, awesome. No, there's, there's 11 guys opposing you. There is a whole nother team on the other side that has a different agenda. That team wants to destroy you. Don't be fooled. On the football field, there are not friends. I can attest to this. You can be friends when you're off the field. But when you play an opponent, an opponent they are just that. They are the opponent. They want to destroy you. Watch pro football sometimes. They keep it within the legal bounds, but they go after each other. There's an enemy to that offense that wants to stomp them in the ground. See, we have an enemy that wants to stop us. He wants to stomp us into the ground. We have to understand our authority in that. We can't ignore that there's not an enemy. We can't say, well, let's not think about him. Let's not worry about, I'll just let God worry about him. I'm not going to think about him. I'll let God worry about him. You're fooling yourself if you're doing that. Because he is after you. Now, God doesn't just leave you hanging there for that. He wants you to understand with the intimacy and relationship to him, you have authority over that enemy. So, see, he's doing that in ignition right now. He is teaching us our authority in Jesus Christ. Why? Because we haven't taken the field yet. Because when we're on the field, when we are are in that building, when we're in the neighborhoods, when we're in Nigeria, when we're in all those 
callings that God is calling us to, we have to already be prepared. This group right here. Now that isn't to say that he won't prepare more people. Of course he does. But this group is unique. You are at the beginning of a calling that is unique. You are to be prepared for that battle. See, we can't assume that there's not an enemy, but we also can't be afraid of him. You cannot be afraid of what the enemy does. Again, recognize your authority in Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. Just go a little bit further. 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to read, hold on here, read verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. See, if you're seeking him in intimacy, you're seeking him in love, receiving the love that he has for you, giving him the love that he deserves, there's no fear there. See, perfect love casts out fear. Fear is a tool of that enemy. Fear is something that keeps us from doing God's will. And I don't know about you, but but fear is just, it's a huge tool of the enemy. You know, we talk so many times about stepping out of our comfort zone. That produces fear. And, And by the way, don't beat yourself up if you're afraid of something. That's not my point. Because Fear is a very natural thing. That's why the enemy uses it. That's why he produces it in us. But fear is something that is to be conquered. Because it's not of the Lord. Why? Because what we just read. Jesus Christ is pure love. Pure love casts out fear. The more you draw Jesus Christ in intimacy into your heart, let him fill your life with his love, the more you're going to see that fear leave. That fear in building relationships. That fear in your career. That fear in being a success. That fear in feeling qualified to do the very calling that God is calling you to do. Isn't it funny how we are afraid of the things that God calls us to do? And it's so natural. It's so normal. That's why Satan uses that. It's almost like a first strike weapon for him. When Jesus Christ reveals to you something that he wanted you to do, some way that he wants you to direct your life in following him, in stepping out of your comfort zone and and doing what he wants, Immediately, we start thinking of the obstacles. Immediately, we start thinking of what can get in our way. Well, I, you know, I don't like to speak in public. 
I, I, I'm afraid of that. You know what? Perfect love casts out fear. If you're afraid of something this morning, draw in more of his perfect love. If you draw in more of his perfect love, it's going to start pushing the fear out. It's not ten steps to a better life. Well, step number seven, I'm going to not be afraid. I'm going to stand up there and not be afraid. I'm sorry, that, that's ridiculous. Because it might work a couple times and then you find yourself afraid about something else. Why? Because you didn't push it out with the right thing. Bible says, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love. If you have fear in your relationship with somebody, insert perfect love into that relationship. It's going to cast out fear. It's going to cast out the very things that hold us from doing God's will. I don't know. Fear is such a huge, just such a huge tool of the enemy. So that, that's the first thing, to be ready as a body. That's the first thing. I want to mention the second thing, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but I, I want you to turn to it. Hebrews 11. And I'm sure you know where we're going to go here. Hebrews 11.6. So we talked about to be ready. Jesus boils things down to pretty simple Things that we have to follow, right? He said, love me, love each other. So to be ready for him to use us, we have to know his love, we have to receive his love, and we have to give his love. But then the second thing is he wants us to believe. Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is critical because it goes, it goes along with the first part. It goes along with love. Do you understand by faith you have to believe that if you love Jesus Christ you are receiving love from him. You have to believe that if you are sending love in a relationship, that you are going to receive love in that relationship. Jesus Christ is perfect love. And we said before, perfect love casts out all fear. But see, that perfect love also rewards those who seek it. He wants us to believe that. In fact, he said, if you don't believe that, what's it say at the beginning? Without faith it is what? Impossible to please him. If you don't believe that, that he is the rewarder of seeking him intimately, then it's impossible to please him in what you're doing. If you're not seeking him intimately, it is impossible for you to please him. 
I don't care how many good things you do. You could run a church of 50,000 people and have 50,000 people saved a year in baptisms. And, you know, we have homeless shelters that we feed the poor. And we do all, the, all this stuff, which is all good. But do you know none of that pleases him if it is not done as a consequence of seeking him? We can do good deeds in our own strength. We could be, quote-unquote, good people in our own strength. Churches are full of those people. That's not what he wants. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your intimacy. He wants you to believe that by seeking intimacy with him, he's going to reward you for it. He's going to give you the very love that your heart craves. He's going to literally fulfill your life. So this concept of being ready, it's not spending a lifetime of buffeting our spiritual body to be able to handle the enemy. Let God do that. Be okay with it when he does do it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid when trials come your way. Because they will. Be excited if you're seeking him intimately. Why? Because he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's like a potter. He's molding you. Let him mold let him take off pieces that don't need to be there. Fall in love with him. Let him do the rest. Believe that he's doing that because it pleases him. When we have faith believing that he is going to reward us for seeking him, it pleases him. In fact, without that faith, we can't please him. I just love, I love how God simplifies things. Life does not have to be complicated, guys. This, this church calling does not have to be overwhelming. It does not have to be complicated. Why? All we've got to do is believe and seek him. That's it. That's it. If we believe and seek him, he does the rest. He rewards us for that seeking he begins to build the very armor that we place on that can stand the enemy that we're called to be warriors against. See, he's preparing us. We may be a church in a living room, but don't be confused as to what God is doing in your life. And don't be afraid of going through what he is taking you through to prepare you for it. He is readying us as a church. He's readying you as an individual. Just believe him. Just trust him. Because he's readying you for the calling that he has for your life. Let's pray.